millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right. Welcome back for another episode of Managing Expectations. A second whole episode in one week. Look at this. We're above and beyond. Uh, today, I'm joined by my good friend, Charlie Bohm, one of the OGs around these parts, national writer for MLSsoccer.com, amongst many other things in his illustrious career here. He does some wonderful features, some wonderful analysis. Um, there are a few better than this guy with a pen. And Charlie, I say a pen because sometimes you give off this like scholarly aura of like maybe you're sitting in a study with like leather-bound books, like literally write, handwriting features with a, with a pen and paper and you have all the research off the top of your head. You don't need to like Google.com, and then you just like send it off to somebody else to type in and put on the internet. Is that is that is that a good intro? Is that fair, folks, listeners? If you ever wondered how Tom sweet talks all his sources into giving up the goods, I think he just gave you a little a little taste there. Wow, I I, I think there's I think that's a compliment. My, <laughs> I, I my, my office smells like rich mahogany. Yeah. If you uh, if you wanted to know how Tom got his start, it was just typing out my written my written. <laughs> yes, dictation services. That, that was that was a real thing. I don't know. I don't know if like like Bill Simmons. I remember he talks about this where he's like, yeah, like in, in college, I would go to Dunkin' Donuts and handwrite my columns for like the, the the newspaper or the the college paper or whatever. Like that sounds horrible. Like imagine putting down two thousand words like handwriting. Like my wrist hurts thinking about that. I'm old enough to have uh, been around for the transition away from that towards computers, and I remember having a laptop at college that was like that was like <laughs> almost as thick as a Bible. It seemed like, and we didn't have like internet was still, um, and in email and stuff was just was mainstream. And so you would like you could you would have your computer, so you didn't have to write as much, but you definitely weren't constantly connected. So you would have to go and like plug in an actual little wire. To the side of your computer to send off your stuff. Yes, I was going to say like I remember you an occasional story of you like early days at RFK of like trying to lug around like you know a, a fifteen pound laptop or whatever they were back in the day. Yeah, and uh, and and connectivity was a real problem back then. I remember being really nervous uh, as a really a broke uh, MLS at the time MLS Net uh, dot com um, beat writer going out to cover. It was a Chelsea friendly at FedEx Field, and uh, Daniel Snyder, the owner of that uh, star-crossed NFL team, was um, enforcing a because he hated the media. Uh, we, had, we had heard rumors that you have to pay ninety dollars to get an internet connection. What uh, in, in the press box at FedEx Field? And I remember thinking, I don't know where I'm going to get the money to pay Daniel Snyder's media tax. Thankfully, that's, it wasn't more a, than I'm making on this. Wasn't a problem. I admit. Yeah, yeah, that was the that was well above the daily rate back then. Oh my God, that's funny. That God's just going to Daniel Snyder hates hates the media and journalism. Yeah, because you're a scumbag, and then they're they're reporting and should be costing your team. That's a terrible. I just can't imagine that FIFA FIFA <laughs> couldn't uh, couldn't give the uh, the DC bid, the FedEx field, uh, the, the the thumbs up for 2026. But here we are. These are the delights of of hanging out and talking with Charlie. Um, for those listening, I remember there's. Uh, there's some legendary like the the knowledge and stories and things that you're able to connect so quickly like, i remember i was coming los angeles for all-star when like me you and, and another editor jonathan siegel um grabbed dinner i think the first day that we all got there the day before i went to a grateful dead concert so i was not in peak physical condition after taking a six-hour flight uh we land it was pretty much like yeah like let's go let's go grab dinner and like that was the best entertainment of like, I didn't even need to participate much in, in the conversation. It was just like kind of listening to like you guys ping pong or whatever. And I was like, Oh wow, this is, and like where my brain capacity was after, you know, being hung over and flying all day. I was like, wow, I can't even fathom this. It was much better than he makes it sound people. I promise. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, it's a busy time around the world of MLS, everything U S national team, you know, there's about eight ish games left, give or take, depending on your favorite team left in the MLS season. There are, two burning playoff races in both conferences. I think the only team 
essentially eliminated as DC United and, and maybe like Houston and San Jose. But other than that, seemingly you could talk yourself into it for every other team. It's very busy. Transfers continue to happen, both incoming for free agents and, and outgoing as the European windows left with a week. Um, and, and earlier today on Thursday at time recording, there was a Champions League group stage draw, which impacts about 10 or a dozen American players or MLS related players. Um, so let's start there. We're going to get into it. Um, I guess just the key highlights for, for I guess, the bigger names like Rangers, who, who just qualified for the group stage. They're with Ajax, Liverpool, and Napoli. Chelsea, Christian Pulisic, may or may not still be. AC Milan, Chelsea, Red Bull, Salzburg, Dinamo Zagreb, uh, Gio Reyna with Manchester City, Sevilla, Dortmund, and Copenhagen. And then uh, Weston McKinney and Josh Cohen, Maccabi Haifa, are PSG, Juventus, Benfica, Haifa. Um, Charlie, any any first initial takeaways from from these groups? Well, it's it's interesting because this is not the record. The the record was set last year for I think it was twelve U.S. eligible players in the Champions League group stage, um, and it's certainly certainly you know U.S. players have been um, at this level uh, with varying degrees of sort of frequency and density for for this whole century. But you're seeing, I think, the evolution is is the, both the number and the, the the prominence of the clubs. And the roles that these players are playing, you know, this, these, these guys aren't just window dressing. And I think there's a little something for everyone. There's an, a U.S. eligible player in every single one of the eight groups. Um, you saw, I mean, I got to watch some of the Rangers game against PSV yesterday. Um, Sands was widely hailed as, you know, man of the match caliber performance in an absolutely asphyxiating pressure of a um, you know, winner else, um, you know, Champions League qualifier. And then and Malik Tillman produced the, the the game and series winning play. So um, and then you know if you look around elsewhere, I mean we do have some question marks around Sergio Dest, uh, Owen Odosoi at, at Bruges. You know not entirely sure of um, you know, kind of what his season or what their seasons are going to look like. And then there's some sort of unicorn type uh, uh, storylines like Timmy Chandler at Eintracht. He exists. Um, he exists. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very impressive actually. I mean Eintracht in general, um, they really. Um, they really move mountains. They, their their season last year was incredible to, to win Europa League and, and do the things they did as a sort of lower mid-table Bundesliga club. It's very impressive, and it's really intriguing to see them now at this level and in a in a fairly open group. I mean, Group D is uh, you know is, is not as rough as some of the other ones. So, um, I mean, it's Sands and Tillman at Rangers have an uphill battle, I think, but uh, one they'll relish. I mean, there's a lot of – just read the quotes from Giovanni Bronkhorst and others around Rangers – uh, a decade after economic relegation, sort of starting from scratch as a club, they're back on the big stage, and that's just a great story, whatever happens uh, results-wise. Yeah, so I'll stick with Rangers. Um, again, maybe it's just the goodwill that came from that PSV game, the fun game. And even looking back at, at the Europa League final where and it didn't go their way, but again, it, it felt like a more fun Rangers team than I guess you know they, you might historically call it. And, and again, I don't know if that's just my own ignorance or whatever, but like looking at that group, like, Ajax plays, Liverpool have their defensive uh, insufficiencies, uh, Napoli, like Rangers, I, I feel like that'll at least be a fun group. I, I'd imagine that in an honest moment, they'd say we'd be happy to finish third and get to the Europa League uh, uh, knockout rounds. But like, I th- don't think that they'd be favors because Napoli, Liverpool, Ajax, that, that's pretty strong. But like, it's the champions that like, you look at like the pot C team for every group, like Benfica and Dortmund are pot C teams. Like, no matter what, Rangers are going to have an uphill battle. But, like, I think that this at least has a possibility to be really fun, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they try to play. I mean, Van Bronckhorst is not a, uh, you know, this is not a long ball merchant, um, you know, British-style coach here. He's, he's certainly got a lot of uh, ties to the club and the region. But I, I, from what I have seen of them, they're pretty progressive. Um, they have an interesting sort of diverse roster. And and again, it's just, it's fun to watch these young Americans uh, slot right in and, and play a part in that. And then, uh, you know, staying there, I mean, their 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 Glaswegian rival Celtic is another fun story. In yeah. with uh, with uh, with the European champions, with Leipzig, uh, and you know all the different MLS ties and history that, that you have there. And then the the quirky case of Shakhtar Donetsk, who I believe are still going to have to be playing. Uh, I don't know if they're playing Poland. Um, you know what else is sub, whatever subject to change? I know the Ukrainian Premier League is back on. Yeah, but I, I don't know that that uh, you know I don't know that they'll get permission from UEFA or where that stands at the moment. So, but just uh, one of many many storylines here. Weren't Shakhtar already not playing at home for a couple of years? Like I don't know if it was all the way back yeah. to Russia and next Crimea, but 
haven't they not like been displaced, but like it's always been like a worry. Yeah, I think they had to turn the because you know that that part of uh, Ukraine has been in a, con- a state of conflict since 2014 or thereabouts, and so they they did their best to soldier on, but you know they, I think they're they're without their a bunch of their uh, foreign legion. Uh, they brought in a bunch of Brazilians over the years, and I don't think I think they have few if any of those guys with the team at the moment. Uh, I'm sure there's there's a state of flux there, and uh, you know another example of uh, of of football and and soccer and life all kind of intertwining. So um, I, I don't think anybody expects too much of them in terms of results. But again, it's a um, it's, it's a tricky uh, tricky situation for any opponent to deal with and uh, and all that comes with it. So um, so that's fun. And then we haven't even gotten to to, to Maccabi Haifa yet. I mean, what an amazing yeah. story! Uh, another really really dramatic qualifier this week, and Josh Cohen, a uh, uh, you know maybe the least known American uh, of, of the ones that are in this conversation, but one who is doing really amazing things and, and I think deserves the full attention at this point now uh, and hopefully demands the full attention of the American soccer public. Yeah. So he's, he's been at Maccabi Haifa and he's been awesome. Like he, he didn't, ha- he had never got an MLS shot. He was playing in USL and then he went to Israel and he, he's won, I think three league titles, if not at least two. And two years ago, he was named player of the year in the Israeli league, which again, you can say what you want about like the level of competition. How many leagues in the world is the player of the year, a goalkeeper? Like, I think that just goes to show like how dominant and how, like how great he was. Like that's, you know, MLS it's happened. What once when it was Tony Miola and back in what? Oh, two or whatever. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. and I know that the, the state of defending here might not be as, uh, the same as, as in, in Israel, but yeah, this is a, such an awesome story. I can't really point it out enough. So his contract was up this summer. And it was per, uh, like purposefully not run down, but it was it was like, hey, like he he's kind of he, if he gets an MLS shot, he'd love it. And he doesn't even need to be guaranteed starter like he'll bet on himself. He's, these are all good. Like he wanted that flexibility of leaving it open. And he was in talks with Atlanta. I thought Atlanta were going to sign him. They ended up not getting the deal done. And the whole time Haifa was like, we, we understand your kind of wants to, to maybe see what, what's out there in MLS. But hey, one year deal on the table for you if you want to sign it you can revisit this next year hey we have champions league qualifiers and it was pretty much like yeah look like it's a long shot they'll make the champions league but we'll at least be in the conference league and now here they are in, in the group stage of the champions league like it's just an incredible story he's again like one of their most important players going back to again he was he was the mv uh, the the league's mvp a couple years ago like this this dude is one of the best players in that league and it's really cool like they played in the uefa conference league last year and I don't, nobody really talked about it because smaller newer competition with a lot of kind of smaller teams like that that Roma ended up winning but like I think now he's going to be a big storyline like moving forward and I think that in like a weird way it's not that MLS teams didn't know or didn't have interest in him previously like the Revs were interested in him a little bit before they signed Georgia Petrovic like this is going to be undeniable and I think if you're Josh Cohen like if you're going to have some some better offers this summer than you would have last summer. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's there, there's more uh, sort of connections between the Israeli league and, and MLS and North American soccer, I think, than we realize. When you look at some of the players that have that have come and gone from there, and players that have had these those kind of experiences, even now, right, the, the one of the hottest uh, summer signings in MLS um, is um, William McGowan. Uh, yeah, exactly. From Sporting KC, I mean, uh, you know, one player. Coming over from from Israel effectively is uh, maybe it's too soon to say transform to transform or turn around, but it certainly transform the vibes, and they desperately needed Austin, yeah, in Kansas City, um, and so I think it's not an accident. I don't think it's a coincidence. There are there are similarities um, in terms of the leagues. There's profiles of players that work in both places, and that's one of those places where you have a you know having visited Israel many many moons ago, uh, you know you You've been have. <laughs> yeah, so um, Haifa is actually really interesting. I didn't spend much time there, but really interesting uh, community. And you have a place where you have a relatively uh, high and stable quality of life, and then you have that entry into European competition. And, uh, and you know, best case scenario here for Cohen. So let's let's watch and see where he goes now. He's thirty, still young for a goalkeeper, and uh, and gets to to ply his trade on the biggest stage there is. Uh, a couple more quicker ones, um, you know, Christian Pulisic, I know he's a hot topic around um, both Europe and here in terms of his future. Um, he, his group is, again, Milan, Chelsea, Salzburg, and, and Zagreb. I do hope that he stays in that group but is transferred to AC Milan. That's kind of like the pipe dream that <laughs> they, they were – I don't know how true the rumors were. They were 
interested in him. It kind of came out in May a little bit. But Chelsea are reportedly in talks to try to sign winger Rafael Leal from AC Milan. So make that a swap deal. Chelsea, uh, Pulisic to Milan, I think, would be the best case scenario. Uh, yeah, that, that would be, I think, the timing is, at least would work out well. But, you know, the whole Pulisic thing is fascinating because he's um, he's such a, a trailblazer um, in so many different ways. And this is yet another one where he's he's been in these environments. Uh, he's been under this the glare of spotlights like, like this and in these situations where he has to win over coaches over and over again. And I have to say, I mean, he has this sort of, and you know, you've been on availabilities with him. He has this demeanor of um, uh, placidness. I don't know what the right word is, but he just doesn't get ruffled by things. You can tell that there's maybe a little going on under the surface, but the guy has uh, surmounted so much to get to this point at this still relatively early point yeah. in his career and his life. And so, um, and, and we're all, you know, I mean, the American soccer audience is living and dying and on, on every minute he plays or doesn't play or every g- gesture. Even I notice, um, you know, when, when his dad, uh, you know, clicks on a, <laughs> on a favorite, hits the favorite button on a, on Twitter, it, it like it makes headlines, which is just crazy to think that that's where we are. But, um, I, I've, I've, I've seen reasons to continue to bet on Christian Pulisic, whether he stays or goes. Uh, I think he's going to find a way uh, to be relevant, um, both you know for the whole season, but especially in the month leading up to the World Cup. And if there's anyone in the USMNT pool um, who can get by, maybe not necessarily being first choice, uh, it's Christian Pulisic. I think he can he can deal with that, and, and Greg Berhalter can deal with that. I think that's that's my takeaway, not takeaway, but that's my opinion as well. In that, you know, we talk about playing time, we talk about transfers that are that are good for a player that's looking at the World Cup. You know, there's uh, there was a lot of influence in a lot of the moves that have happened. Shaq Moore and Matt Miazga coming back to MLS, pretty explicitly talking about this. Josie Altidore going to Puebla. I know that that's a long shot, but that was on his mind. Talking about Chris Richards, like maybe last year he wouldn't have been thrilled with Crystal Palace, or maybe he would have wanted something else. But he was okay, I, I could have a chance to play here and, and kind of be a star of the World Cup. If Christian Pulisic doesn't play a minute or just plays Carabao Cup games from now until the the, uh, the World Cup, I, I'd still be the same level of confident in him and his ability going into the opening game. Like, he's like, like you said, it's one of those weird things. I, I don't I don't really worry about him in, in any of these moments. Like, again, it's it's credit to him. Like, uh, he gets obviously criticized like any, any other player. Um, but I think that he's more than earned that um, backing or, or, you know, benefit of the doubt. And it, one of the interesting uh, sort of unexpected subplots of, of the qualifying cycle was that he tended to be more impactful pound for pound off the bench. And, you know, I guess in some situations with some personalities, maybe that would be a problem and maybe there is, you know, something to deal with there, but he's one of those guys that it's, it seems like it's okay. If he's a little pissed off, maybe it even helps him. Um, he just has this, um, he has this restlessness, I think, that sometimes serves him well. And he, there seems to be enough trust in the collective between him and the coaching staff. Um, you know, even if he's, you know, you use him off the bench. And, of course, a lot of this depends on uh, Gio Reyna's health and, and fitness. And there's a lot of different variables in there. Um, but I think considering how many uh, how much fretting uh, goes on in American soccer about Christian Pulisic, I think, uh, I think there's bigger, bigger problems elsewhere on the national team front. I agree. I always want to do it. hasn't been much lately because it seems like we're assuming that he's not starting for Chelsea, but you know, a go-to bit is always, you know, the, the 4 billion accounts that put up Christian Pulisic starts for Chelsea or Christian Pulisic on the bench. And so it's, you know, 25 minutes before the game. Hey, does, does anybody know any news about if Christian Pulisic starting today? I haven't, I haven't been able to see anything on that. So yeah, it's Nobody like, gets the clicks, man. Nobody gets the clicks like that, that Pulisic word. Um, just on my last point here is I am looking forward to whatever, you know, interactions come out of Dortmund versus, uh, Man City just to watch Reyna and Holland. Hopefully if Reyna's fit and, and they're both around because they had a pretty cool, fun connection and Holland was, was pretty fun with the media and talking about Gio Reyna. So that'd be a fun one, but, um, talking about the Champions League a little bit enough here. Um, let's look at, you know, there, by the way, Man City is another former club of dad. Uh, that's, uh, that's yeah. one of Claudio's former destinations. So, uh. We, we people have really played up the Real Madrid, the rumors and and whispers of Real Madrid interest, but um, but Man City's out there too. Oh, look at that! That's one. That's one to sit on. Um, so yeah, there's a week left in the European and Mexican transfer windows. Um, there's about eight days left at time of recording of the MLS roster freeze, in which MLS teams can sign free agents, which LAFC just did by signing Christian Teo. Uh, but you know more so. 
the business would be outgoing. So we're going to, you know, I'm not sure exactly how much to expect around MLS in terms of outgoing transfers, but, but there are numerous storylines and, and there are real things out there to talk about. And I think first and foremost, it's, it's the links for Kai Wagner to Leeds United, um, Leeds, Major League Soccer. That interest is real. The, from what I've been told, that interest is driven by Jesse Marsh. But as of, and again, I, I try to preface this all the time because things are very fluid right now. As of Wednesday, I was told multiple sources, there have still been no bids for Kai Wagner from Leeds or anywhere else. And at this point, two months ago, I would have said, I'm very much expecting Kai Wagner to be transferred to somewhere in Europe this summer. You know, as of these these couple of days, like I'd be surprised. I think at this point, and maybe surprise is too strong because because again, things can change. If Leeds turns around and, and offers twelve million, like he, he's gone or whatever, whatever the number has to be. So I mean, as of right now, I, I'm not expecting him to leave. Leave, but again, all the nuance, the boring. I'm putting it out there in asterisk that things can change. Teams teams panic at the end of a transfer window, and things can happen. But as of right now, I'm I'm expecting Wagner to stay with Philly. And Jim Curtin was the yesterday or today, whatever his weekly availability was. I believe he he explicitly confirmed that there's still been no bids submitted. And so, you know, that's there's again we have all there's as you know better than anyone. There's so much fluff. Um, there's informal contacts. There's agent contacts. There's agents doing their work. There's clubs making inquiries. There's go betweens and intermediaries. But uh, you have to get to the actual um, at least at least in the room where there is a bargaining table for, for this to really have legs. And I, I can completely understand that Philly feels like um, this is the moment to, to push for a cup. Um, it's as, about as good as it's been for them. And, uh, and, and then the winter time would be an opportunity for, for him to, to make a move. And, uh, and then, you know, sometimes it is a smaller market, but sometimes you have stronger needs, desires, panic reactions in the winter even once you've got a few results under your belt yeah and i mean maybe best case scenario for all parties in terms of philly getting to keep their player for right now and for kai wagner himself being you know having his future secured maybe something like george mihailovic is transferred to i i az az you'll correct me for az alkmaar uh for an american to pronounce it um to, to the dutch club that is going to be effective on January 1st. Same thing, Gaga Swanina, the Chelsea transfer is effective January 1st. So maybe there's a best case scenario there. But again, from, from people I've talked to, I'm not, I'm not even expecting that. I'm not even expecting, uh, okay, we know you don't want to sell them now. So here's, let's do it for the winter. So uh, I'm not sure if anything's going to happen, but maybe that'd be best case scenario. So I guess with that, to, to transition quickly, I forgot to even uh, preface this or prep this, but George Mihailovic's transfer went official today. Um, do you have any, I guess, big thoughts on that move? in terms of, you know, it being the right fit for him. And I guess we have to talk about the World Cup angle of if it's, you know, more beneficial for him to be staying in MLS or if it would have been more beneficial for him to go right now. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you would want to be in his position um, trying to make a play for the September roster, making a, 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 a logistical, personal, and career life move at the very end of the transfer window as opposed to what he's going to do now where he's got, he's on a, a quality MLS team that is in contention uh, to, to win something this fall. And, um, and he's, you know, I think he's in a comfortable environment. He's always known and he's been pretty open that it was a question of when, not if he was going to go to Europe and getting the best deal for all parties. And that seems to have happened. I really like this move for him in terms of the culture, uh, the club, the station of the club, the league and everything. I think it works out well for him. And, and just on a, you know, the, the personal side of this, I mean, this is a kid who had a winding road to this point. When you look at, he's one of that sort of uh, generation of sort of, uh, I don't want to be too harsh here to any listeners in the Chicagoland area. Um, there's a lot of quality um, that was sort of didn't have the ideal pathway coming up out of Chicago Fires Academy. Um, he was traded off. I mean, Harrison Ship is another one. Um, there's several of these types of players who, who simply, I don't think were a priority in the, and, and Academy products were just not a priority at that certain phase in, in Chicago's existence. Um, and so he had to leave and, you know, maybe in the long run, it was better for him to get out of his hometown. Um, was hundred percent, by the way, I can follow up on this in a minute, but like he wanted to leave too. So, <laughs> uh, and they will still get a cut, uh, for, for, um, you know, whatever you may think of that. I think it's 10%, right. Of this fee goes to the fire, um, and, uh, and I'm just really intrigued to see him. I'm a little afraid that, that, that the timing, uh, his ankle injury in June really was d- disastrous. 
Uh, I think Greg Berhalter really likes him. Um, he's taught, he's, he's used the phrase pocket winger, which I think is funny, kind of interesting. I, I think he wants to have, uh, he has a certain role in mind for Mihailovich to play, maybe not necessarily in his first choice st- structure, but he wants to have these various tactical options for Cutter. And, um, and I, I'm a, f- a little afraid that he's going to wind up competing with Tillman um, for one of those kind of last spots on the plane. And, and I, I don't know what's going to happen there. And there's going to be more games for Tillman to play um, between now uh, and the roster date. So, but we'll see. I mean, he's still, there is still hope there. Yeah, I think that's the big one for me is that it, that's this is a realistic conversation. This isn't something that we're trying to contrive for content. Like, he was going to be called into the June friendlies, and he picked up an injury, I think, the weekend before, which is just absolutely brutal in terms of timing because of how great he's been since he got to Montreal. Um, but one that we might have might have get accused for contriving for content of whether it'd be better if he was going to, to the Netherlands right now rather than staying in Montreal. Sporting, the Montreal sporting director, Olivier Renard, said, like, yeah, the AZ wanted him right now. That that wasn't an option for us. Like, that we would not have done a deal if if that was if, – if they were going to die on that hill, so were we. And there wasn't going to be a deal happening. So I think that's a non-starter. This team, you know, I'll quibble with that. I don't think that they're, like, any like an elite team. But it is a weakish top of the Eastern Conference. Like, Philly, I think, are head and shoulders the best team in, in the East. But then after that, there's just – you know, nine teams that are really flawed, even NYCFC since Tati left. And since Nick Cushing took over as head coach, they, they don't look very good. Like it's, it's almost like Columbus who were as of a couple weeks ago, like ninth, like I don't almost put them as like the second or third best team in the East, just because of how flawed it is. So they do, you know, have a chance, whether it's a strong chance or not, like without Georgie, that, that team is, is a lot, a lot less than, than they are. So this was their whole point. I mean, we're not selling them. So I don't think that that's kind of a fair way to look at it, but yeah, it, it is a real chance for him to make the roster. Um, I'm going to expect him to be in the September friendlies, and, and I keep on hedging a lot of my opinions about the roster and, and potentials for the roster is that, like, we'll know for sure somebody who doesn't have a chance if they're not called in in September and, and, and you know, less than a month here. So, yeah, Georgie has a real chance. He he was speaking today. I've, I've been really impressed by him that he's honest – He's he said this numerous times. I've interviewed him a few times on the press conference again today. He was like, "Look, like I was leaving Chicago, I needed to mature. I needed to grow up. There was stuff on the field there's that I could grow. Obviously, and and you've seen how he's grown. But he's like off the field. I knew that I needed to grow. I knew I wanted to leave Chicago. I knew that I was always going to be viewed as the young kid coming out of the academy, no matter if I was 17 or 27. So he got more responsibility on and off the field in Montreal. Wilfred Nancy had this like really funny quote of like. Yeah, like what's your relationship like with Georgie? He's like, you know, it's so close. It's it's like I'm cheating on my wife. Like it's 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 a super honest relationship <laughs> in, in in which we're we're really open. We can be harsh to each other. We can be real with each other. But like, there's a real thing there. And and Georgie was saying that you know Wilfred put him in the best spot to succeed. He helped him grow on and off the field, and particularly off the field, it seemed like he was hammering down. So this is a kid that is. I think he's making this move at the perfect time, the same way that the Montreal trade was at the perfect time. So you know. It's like the school of Brendan Aronson, knowing when and knowing what club to go to is, is a skill. And, and these are kind of the things that should be put on a wall, of the Hall of Fame. Hey, like young 18 year old player, look at their career paths. Do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just I'm so happy to see that the U.S. system is producing and elevating and giving opportunities to players like Georgie, who were traditionally not maybe in the, the, the type or profile player that that this country produces or encourages or grooms with, with efficiency. Um, and now you're starting to see guys like that come up who have, um, you know, just kind of a more nuanced skill set. Um, he's an interesting player to watch. I think the way he drifts into space, his interpretation, his movements, his, his relationships with, with the strikers in front of him, the way he tries to, to make plays. It's a, he's a subtle kind of player. And I really enjoy that. We, we've traditionally not been good at, at, at developing those types yeah, um, and so to, to see the one come up and then and then break through and continue climbing is is really cool. Last one on this: the Netherlands, I think, is the perfect place for him. And this is a team that's the combination of he he should be a, an absolute constant starter, and they're good. So it's not you know Luca Della Torre was playing at a team that got relegated, and it was a really good career move for him too. But I think this is even better because the team is better. Michael Bradley scored 15 goals in the Dutch league when he was around this age, probably maybe a, a little bit younger. He had never, he never before or after scored more than five goals in a league season than that one year in the Netherlands. I think that Georgie is going to have a billion goal contributions. I think that this has a real possibility of in two years 
Like, I don't know why Bologna didn't buy him, the, the same owners, Joey Saputo. You know, again, everybody has their opinion. So apparently the, the coaching staff or sporting director, technical staff, didn't rate him. I'm, you know, really surprised about that. I'm not a Bologna expert, to be fair. I don't know what their squad looks like right now and what they need. But he's somebody who I thought would be good enough for that team. So, again, I think this is a really good move. A couple others, I guess, just to keep an eye on um, for potential moves over the next week. Jose Cifuentes, LAFC star, Ecuador international midfielder. Brighton and Hove Albion are interested. Um, LAFC, from what I know, obviously, very obviously, would prefer not to sell. They did trade for fellow Ecuador international, Sebastian Mendez, as part competition, part future play, part insurance. If Cifuentes leaves, they'll be covered with another midfielder. Again, maybe best case scenario is a team in Europe wants to get a deal sorted now before Cifuentes goes to the World Cup and maybe his value rises and LAFC gets to keep him for until the winter. Perhaps that happens, but like, look, like this is a team that they they sold Diego Rossi after the MLS transfer windows um, closed last year, and that essentially ended their season. So they're not afraid to do something like this. I you know I think that they would explore every single option. But look again, if a team comes with a huge fifteen million bid and says now or never, like you know maybe maybe it's now. <laughs> so who knows? Conveniently, conveniently that stance. We don't want to sell this player. Uh, it's going to take a huge bid. Uh, it's a pretty good starting point for negotiations. I mean, I think that has to have helped them in the Rio Rodriguez um, saga that just completed today or last night, I guess it was yeah. officially announced the move to Club America. When you're trying to coax every last dollar uh, out of an overseas suitor, I think it certainly helps to say, Hey, look, we're, you know, we're in the home stretch here. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make it worth our while. Right. And, Cause that's the deepest team in this league. We've seen that. Yep. You, me, and everybody else that covers this league has talked about it uh, uh, possibly too much, but <laughs> that is a squad. That is a squad, and they can handle a few departures. Um, when we get a couple storylines and we have time later, that, that's one of the ones that we'll talk about. So real quickly for other things, Dewan Jones, that's still, you know, I, I know I sound like crazy person. I've noted this numerous times since June. That's still a possibility. It was even described to me in June that this might be the kind of thing that comes down to the end of the window just because – you know, he might not be the top of the priority list for all these clubs or, or whatever it is, or maybe teams need to sell players to move players. But Stuttgart are interested. Um, there are, I think, some other teams that have him on a list. You know, whether it happens or not, like he's somebody that definitely is going to be viewed for, for move to Europe. And, and Julian Araujo is obviously destined to be there at some point. I don't know. I don't I don't think that it would happen over the next week. But And like Club America are interested in him, and, and Chivas had been previously. You know, Julian said it himself, I want to go to Europe. So, that's something to look forward to for the winter, but again, covering my bases here in case something crazy happens. Yeah. I love that we have so many um, talented, young, and impactful fullbacks to talk about. Not so long ago, this league was a wasteland uh, in the fullback position, and so um, so it's impressive. Uh, it's also a smart move in terms of these clubs um, growing and nurturing these players because these are types of sort of plug-and-play guys. Um, that are not necessarily going to be your big record-breaking transfers, but can they can make steady money for you uh, over the long term if you produce positional players uh, who can do a job and uh, you know and keep, and keep churning them through. I mean, Araujo is a fascinating one. I think he would already be in Liga MX. Um, just being on the Mexican national team is, is such a platform that gets all of Liga MX watching. Uh, I admire his uh, determination. It certainly seems like he's holding out uh, to, to get across the Atlantic. Um, really intriguing. I mean, we, I think we lose track of the fact that this is a, I think he's 20 now, but you know, this was a, a daily starter as a teenager. Yeah. Um, it just was, it just absolute would have been an absolute freak just a few years ago. Um, and it got, you know, again, it may get him on the plane to cutter. Um, and Jones, I think is another one. I, I, I think the timing, if the timing had been a little bit more fortuitous for him, we may be talking about him for the world cup roster. I, again, I don't think he's quite gotten enough, but he did well at the January camp opportunity he got, I think he's right for this sort of room. I'm, I'm afraid that the Revs have a little bit of transfer fatigue um, because they've seen the disruptions um, to their results and, uh, and the sort of collective that Bruce Arena clearly likes to have um, with the comings and goings. I think this is this is a new MLS thing that Bruce is getting used to, this idea of these, these kind of transactions happening and disrupting the core that he's trying to, to cultivate there. Um, but I think it's right for him. I mean, the kid is really taken to the challenge of MLS He's met that level, and he's that he's he's ready for another one because I think for the next cycle he'll be knocking on the door uh, in the fullback spots for the USMNT. Yeah, I was upset that he wasn't called in in the uh, the June window as like, hey, you know, things aren't going well for George Bell in Europe. Um, Sam Vines at that time things it was still kind of a bad taste. He he started the season better um, with Royal Antwerp, but I I think that 
backup left back was so wide open that I, I was really hoping he was going to get in. And again, I thought that that was a window into, okay, like the coaching staff don't kind of see him for this cycle, which again is fine. It's fair. It's, it's, you know, like you said, this is, it's probably going to be too soon for this one, but, and in the Rev's defense, by the way, if, if a move doesn't happen, I don't blame them at all. The transfer window for MLS is closed outside of free agents. He's a really difficult player to replace regardless, just because of his acquisition costs and, and contract cap hit. Like, these are one of the these are the difficult ones because it's not going to be a Gaga Sonina up to 15 million fee for him. It's like why it was like with Aaron Long a couple years ago, Red Bulls are holding out for some like ludicrous number because they're like it's not valuable to us. Like it's more valuable for us to have him, not a three and a half million, five million, whatever transfer. Which again, that, at this stage, like for Dewan Jones, I would understand why they would say, all right, for the next week, no, we we just can't do it. But again, then maybe in the winter. Um, let's breeze through this section. Um, or do you have any? I guess. Under not under the radar, but just out like the the younger generation of guys, like I guess Slonina's age in in that range. Do you have anybody that I guess you are looking at for maybe not an immediate move, but just you know over the next I guess probably twelve months between next winter or, or summer? Yeah, I mean I should do a shameless plug here uh, for any listeners who don't know. I do the young player performances of the week roundup um, after every um, MLS match week. So on around Mondays, I'm I'm going through going through the film. Uh, looking for the top uh, U23 performances across the league, so um, I've kind of gotten, uh, got, kind of became this be on my beat a little bit, and uh, and it's fascinating. Uncle Charlie, to, Uncle Charlie for kids. What's that? Uncle Charlie, just we're looking out for the kids. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, Chuck loves the kids, you know. So, um, so I'm, I'm intrigued. We we talked a little bit about uh, John Tolkien. I think I'm really really intrigued by this kid, uh, this Red Bulls player. We were just talking about left backs. Uh, another one who, um, you know, is, seems to be ahead of schedule. His really steep uh, developmental trajectory. He became a regular starter for a very competitive team with a very, I would say, difficult system uh, for young players to master. Um, and he's starting every week, and he's not just he's not just logging minutes. He's making he's you know leading one of the team leaders in tackles, one of the team leaders in key passes. Um, he's producing end product. Um, he gets all over the pitch. Uh, he's already gotten a name drop from from Greg Berhalter, so I'm really intrigued to see what happens with Tolkien. I think you may uh, have a line on some of maybe the possibilities there. Yeah, he was linked with Anderlecht, and I know that Red Bull Salzburg were interested in him you know, last winter. I can't imagine anything that has changed their mind. And, and yeah, with him, it's it's not just that he's a starter. He's he's like a, one of their very most important players at this young age, like I, I've been joking about it because of the New Jersey kid, like myself, the, the mullet that I love. I feel like that I can go with, with <laughs> in, in some categories. So I always joke that John Tolkien is my spirit animal, but it's not just a bit like this guy's a legitimately good player. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he's uh, I'm sure it's just he seems like a free spirit. I'm sure it wasn't methodical, but um, you could hardly have have packaged yourself better to grab the attention of uh, of of um, MLS hipsters and, and hardcore soccer dorks in this country with, um, you know, a bunch of ink, um, some, some flock of seagulls hairstyles, you know, which seem to evolve a little bit from week to week. Um, and just the style of play that he has, he's just like, he's just an energizer bunny out there just goes nonstop. Um, but still has, has this ability that I think um, is really intriguing about these, the top Red Bulls products is that um, they, the, the best ones can sort of, embrace the chaos of that high press and then still get their head up and produce moments of quality out of it. And that I think is the type of player that Europe is really intrigued about um, in MLS. The, the, you know, when you look at, at Aronson and, and Adams, these guys are, you know, kind of coming out of a, this really fitness and performance um, oriented U S sporting culture. And then we've raised the level of the of technical and tactical awareness to where they get over to Europe and they can, they can catch on quickly because they're just such machines in physical terms and sheer output. Yeah. It's, it's again, I, I think the combination of the physical and, and the quality and, and everything else that tactical nuance, I think that, He's very much destined for something, probably maybe in the winter, probably in the winter. Um, Salzburg, I think, would be a wonderful fit. Um, again, we'll, I don't know what their left back situation is, but again, we'll see. There's plenty of time for that. Some of the guys that have to be kind of at the top of this conversation: Paxton Aronson, who won the U20 Golden Ball, uh, U20 Concacaf Champions Golden Ball. He was phenomenal. Um, he's going to get the name recognition because he's Brendan's brother. There, he, he's a, a really, really top talent in his own right but him and brendan are very different brendan is 
the perfect transition player and elite transition player as and, and pressing and, and everything else that, that you've seen from Salzburg to Leeds. Paxton is more of a technical, you know, breakdown, um, uh, 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 set defense. He, they have just have different qualities, but again, they're, they're very good. They're talking to scouts. It's like when Brendan was, was at Salzburg and I was talking to people about Paxton, it was like, yeah, like this, you know, they, they're different. Um, but like Paxton might be slightly ahead of where Brendan was. It is like, like this kid in his, it's not just Brendan's brother. And let's look at him. Like he's really good in his own right. And then staying with Philly, Jack McGlynn, he's, Phenomenal. Jim Curtin has has already said that this is this kid has tied for the best left foot that I've coached, and he's been a coach for a decade, and, and they've had some really good players. So Jack McGlynn, both of these guys are on you know plenty of teams' radars. Plenty of interest is, is is kind of a nebulous word, but they definitely have plenty of interest. Um, we'll see if talks heat up again. Neither of these players are leaving immediately. I'd even be surprised if something was agreed that didn't at least have a, a year loan back, let alone just a six-month year uh, loan back. So they got plenty of time. Um, but again, I, I think that there's going to be some movement at some point with these guys just because there are a lot of teams that like them and, and, and there are teams try to get in as quick as they can. Joe Scally was transferred before he made it an MLS appearance by NYCFC. Mm-hmm. So like these are the things that we need to come to spe- expect as normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a, a couple of little aside here. One, I mean, who has shown themselves as being smarter about knowing the right moment than Ernst Tanner, the director in Philadelphia? Um, so this guy's a, a, a canny operator. He understands the the club identity and the the pipeline they've built in Philly. He knows very well how to connect um, with with you know suitors over in Europe. Um, I'm actually doing a uh, I'm doing a podcast hit tomorrow. Uh, with an Irish-based podcast. Um, clearly, they've taken note over on the, the Emerald Isle of Jack McGlynn's uh, Irish heritage. We'll see if we get some dual national panic uh, uh, coming out of this. I'll do my best to stoke that. I, they're using you as, as the spindle. The, the spindle. I will happily uh, embrace that agenda because I think this kid is um, – he has some unicorn-like qualities about him. Um, it's interesting because what I've heard, and I've, I've got a piece, um, I'm working on what I hope is a cool longer piece uh, about Philly and the academy because I've just been, I've been on that story. I've been kind of, I wrote about it at the sort of the early part of their academy project. And, um, and I checked back in with some of the people who are, uh, who are involved in the decision making there. And um, a couple of things jump out. So one, McGlynn um, got flack and I think wasn't necessarily universally highly rated within the Philly Academy because there were people who felt that he wasn't athletic enough. You know, they want to press, right? They, they want a little beast that, 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 that wreck shop. And he's not necessarily that kind of guy. He's not that energizer bunny per se compared to what is coming up, you know, elsewhere, what, what an Aronson kid looks like, but it's just, he's got that wand of a left foot. He's got a really, really high game IQ. I think he makes up for uh, brain speed, what maybe uh, some coaches don't don't see enough of in terms of, of fleetness of foot. And so, again, I think the ceiling on him is really high. And our colleague Matt Doyle has written um, a, a lot of good stuff lately about him being a regular starter coming back from the U20 World Cup, how it has brought a new facet to what Philly does tactically that has raised their ceiling. So he's an intriguing one. And then uh, I think back to um, a conversation I had with Dr. Nua Ahmed Lee, who is – basically the director of uh, YSC Academy, like the school that all the Philly Academy kids go to. And so she was a sort of like a headmaster for both the Aronson kids. And she said, you know, and she's really, she's her expertise is cognitive development and they are ahead of the curve in, in, in the United States soccer in terms of like their ability to mesh that. And some, uh, there's a little La Masia esque elements of what they're doing there in terms of interweaving those things in a way that that's really valuable. And she said, you know, Brendan, was always a really organized kid. He had to have his homework done before he would go on a road trip, you know, with national team or, or, or an academy team or whatever. It just, it was like, he had to be organized. He had to have his together. And Paxton is a little more of a, like, you know, get it done the night before chaotic, you know, a little sloppier, but a little more creative. And I think it's so fascinating that you see those elements reflected on the pitch as well as a little more of a 10 on um, the little brother. So it's going to be fun to watch his development. Oh, that's a really good tidbit. I love that. Yeah, that, that is funny how like you, you take themes from from different parts of your life, and it's like, oh my god, like you know that that makes a ton of sense. I uh, just wanted to you, the things you were saying about McGlynn, that, that was all perfect. People I've talked to at that at the club at the academy at, in the first team, it was like this boy is going to be so special if he just becomes an average athlete. That's how good he is technically, and and his, his IQ. Um, they the the year of the pandemic 
they got two games in. Everybody else, he was around the first. He was in the first. I think he already signed his, his homegrown contract. But regardless, he was would have been training with the first team and everything. They they're they're gone. There's no training or whatever for what four and a half months. Um, they come back and the joke immediately with the coaching staff and some of the players was like, "Oh, did we sign a new player? Because you're a lot taller. You're you look a lot more fit." It was like Kate Cow was the same thing where he just like put on a bunch of muscle. Like again, these are these are teenage children. Of course that they're growing at this rate. It's like who's this? We got a new signing. So I think that you've been seeing that this year, and they have been playing them. That was um something I was talking to people at that club about early late spring, early summer. It was like, yeah, we're, they're playing well, but we need we need the kids to have to have more opportunities. And there's no coincidence that the moves that Philly made at the beginning of the summer, Sergio Santos out, um, who else? Um, Stuart Finley out. There's a midfielder, uh, Mate Orovets out. And these are just like mid twenties, air quote depth veteran options, all gone. All you, ha- all you have to do is play the kids now. And, and that's, that's the coaching staff saying, hey, by the way, we think they're ready. So then they're, you're able to move those other guys on. So this, that was deliberate that McGlynn and Aronson and Craig um, and Sullivan were all going to have chances to get more minutes, and McGlynn is, is getting the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple more, a couple more just to, to drive by. You know, there's Ismail Kone, uh, Kone at, at CF Montreal. Uh, Norwich had a $6 million deal agreed, but that fell through on personal terms. Kate Cowell, of course, even though he signed a new contract at the beginning of the year, French club Reims had, had a bid rejected. Caleb Wiley, keep an eye on him. He's still a little raw defensively, but, but you can tell that he's a big, big talent the same way Brian Reynolds was. Um, they've already rejected bids for him, from what I've told. That was, um, you know, more than what they sold George Bellow for. Gio Marshall Ruddy, I say this a lot too, but, but keep an eye on him. This is a kid that Liverpool valued, uh, Arsenal valued when he was trained with both of these teams. Um, there's always interest there, and, you know, we'll see if something happens. Um, any any points on, on any of those guys before we'll, we'll give we'll give a couple storylines and get out of here. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the legacy of this Toronto FC season is. Um, I got to have a really great um, long sit down with Bob Bradley last week. Yeah, it was really uh, good. And and basically, you know, they 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 sort of had they're 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 behind the eight ball now. They're trying to make up for lost time and get in the playoffs. And everybody knows they'd be very dangerous if they if they make it. Um, and this is sort of how they set the season up. They knew it was going to be like this, and part of that was giving kids opportunities. I mean, they had some very, very young 11s in the early weeks of the season, and you would see these moments, right? And that's the thing about you watch a young team, the tendency is that the, you see these moments of extreme quality and, and vibrance, and, and then but then the inconsistency always lets them down, right? Mental errors, um, you know, lack of full 90-minute sort of performances. And so some really tough, frustrating results stacked up. Um, but the baptism by fire, I think, may prove to be very worthwhile for this crop of academy kids that are coming up through the UFC's system now. I think Bob Bradley, um, it's not a coincidence. We talked about LAFC earlier. LAFC's got a very deep team, but they've they've gotten markedly older since Bob left, um, and I think their model is shifting a little bit, and I think the situation he's in now, he's got this interesting blend of, of um, you know cosmopolitan, international older guys, and then some of these really wet behind the ears uh, teens who are they got some of them got minutes some of them are just getting the in, everyday practice environment of being around you know Michael Bradley and and the Italians and and you know everything that comes with that you, you never know how the sort of everything sort of bakes and matures right but I think there's a lot uh, of potential there and you're seeing they're already they've already got log jams in some positions to where they're trading kids away and uh, you know, Ralph Preso is a, is a good example of a really talented kid. I think he'd probably get a, a, a lot longer look at a club that didn't have so many other guys coming up the pipeline. Yeah, and, and part of that trade for Mark Anthony K, like Toronto did are using every dollar of their allocation money to, to make up for some bad decisions in previous years and keeping this roster together. I think if they were able to like, because Colorado was just like, give like we understand you might not have the allocation money. Just give us a package of assets worth around $2 million in allocation. Well, first of all, we, we spent a million in allocation to get him. Give us that. And then you can make up the other million other ways. Ralph Preso, it was kind of obvious. I know Io Akinola, I think that they would have preferred to trade Io Akinola, but Colorado valued Ralph Preso more. So I think that he was just a casualty of their cap situation. And it's not it, that's not an indictment of whether or not they rated Ralph Preso as a player. So I think that's a good point. Jaden Nelson, he's been he's a winger, and he's been playing center mid. And I thought for any player, let alone a teenager or young 20s, whichever he is, that is not easy. Those are not two positions that go together very well. He's been really awesome. I've been really impressed by that. Um, yeah, I think it's a smart move to put some legs, uh, some young legs in there next to Bradley with with those, you know, with Benedeschi and Insignia and maybe not necessarily being high work rate defenders. 
um, you know, put in Nate Nelson there and, and let him be the lungs of the team. And uh, I'm, again, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. We'll see what happens here. Hopefully he still gets run because they have gotten older as the season has gone on. But um, it's a great, probably a good environment for him to be in in the long term. All right, let's use this as a big-time, big-boy professional transition because I was going to say let's talk about, you know, a couple, two or three storylines and get out of here for the rest of the season. I think Toronto's chase for the playoffs is one of the, the bigger ones, obviously, if not the biggest. So talking with Jaden, I, I, you know, there is, there's one thing to have legs in the midfield. That's great. But, like, if, he's, if he has no clue what he's doing, because, that's again, that, those aren't, that's not an easy transition. Those, it's not left back to uh, left wing to left back, which isn't easy to, as is, but at least that's something more natural. Defensive mid to center back, center back to defensive mid, whatever it is. So there's one thing to just be able to run, and I agree with you in that, but, like, I, I think that it's, it's much more than that. Like, it, intellectually, he's, he's done really smart understanding the space and, again, his, his duties and everything in there. And, you know, not even a disrespect to him. I just didn't think that anybody in that profile, anybody from even a 28-year-old, whatever it is, that's – I'm trying to say that I'm pleasantly surprised without making it sound mean as if I thought that he was a bad player. So I think that that's been a good one. And, yeah, Toronto's chase for the playoffs is fun as hell. They're, they got to be top of the watchability rankings because 4-3, 3-2, 2-2, 2-1, all these, that's what it's going to be. They have they have fatal flaws in defense and, in tra- and transitional defense, which – I've been disappointed at some of the teams they've played. The Revs got a result against them, but they let Toronto dictate the game. Portland got their doors blown off because they didn't have any interest in actually putting it to Toronto and their fragile defense. So I'm really curious to see if there's going to be a team, a good team, that's able to try to dictate the game to Toronto and see how they handle handle that. Yeah, and, and I think, um, as you meant, you know, the, there's shades of Latif Blessing in, in what Bradley's doing with Nelson, and, and that's True. fun to, to watch. I think a lot depends on them getting Mark Anthony Kay, uh, you know, healthy and fit. Um, he's a really key uh, engine room presence there. And, and, yeah, like you said, I mean, they. I think Bob is comfortable opening things up. I think he recognizes that that's the strength of his team right now. Uh, when you if, if you create opportunities for, for the Italians to get into space – in some of the quality those guys are showing around the uh, the opposing penalty box is just silly. I mean, they're just t- technically ridiculous. These are out, of like this, out of control. This tactic, this this like Serie A infusion um, that that's come in is is a blast. And we can um, as many jokes as people make about um, uh, about Bill Manning being on transfer market or whatever. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm all for it. This you could you could do worse here when it comes to. Uh, to making an engineering a quick turnaround in MLS. Um, I hate to do the sports radio thing, so feel free to get away from the, the not answer this, but like, do you think that they're going to get over the playoff line? Uh, I guess I think I had to predict this a couple weeks ago for a piece. Um, and I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think at the time I said no, because, uh, and I think actually thought um, it, maybe, and maybe I'm overvaluing it, but they had that really tense, fun uh, Canadian championship final. Uh, out in Vancouver, um, where a few things break differently, and they're they're hosting a trophy, you know, at the dawn of this sort of new era. And I thought that would have been a really meaningful psycho emotional lift for the group and for the for the project. Um, and so I thought that was a big miss. Um, there just there's no margin for error. I think that the problem for them is that um, the the Italians are in preseason still fundamentally, yeah. and they're just not they're catching up in, in physiology terms, and so. Uh, I think these games on short rest, like that 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 uh, Miami game uh, last weekend, was just really brutal. I mean, if you can get a point there, right? You get a point there, and then you get three instead of one at home against mm-hmm. the Reds in midweek. Everything looks so different, right? So um, I, I don't I don't think it's going to happen for them. But again, when you look at the standings, it's such a forgiving situation because there's such a log jam right around the line. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, and, and I've kind of always had that mentality that it seemed like a little bit too much, particularly when Insignia's debut got pushed back by a little calf injury. And, and it, it's really good to see that that hasn't lingered, like that, you know, maybe your, your worst fears are like, oh my God, like, all right, he's going to, this is good year is going to be a complete wash for him, but it hasn't. Um, I think that we were a little too quick to crown them as, oh my God, they're going to get in the playoffs and make a run because they beat Charlotte at home for nothing for a team that had <laughs> one road win of the season at that point, as you know. And, and you talk about the CCL final. The other side of that is that it was just another game for those three guys to play 90 minutes on a midweek. So, like, I empathize with them in that, like, Bob Bradley, he can't rest them. You, you, you kind of can't. You, but, like, it was really clear against Miami. They were out of gas. The Portland, the end of the, not the Portland game, the end of the New England game, they were fucking gas. Like, Insignia was still dangerous when he was on the ball. 
but like you as as somebody else who who's um a, a men's league champion a men's league um entre- uh, somebody who has a lot of experience there you you know that you got that talented guy over the wing who all right he can kind of turn it on if you give him the ball but like off the ball ooh, my man is gassed <laughs> Bob actually uh, shared a really interesting insight that didn't quite make it in the piece, but he was talking about trying to, you know, it, bring these guys into the system. He's, he's spending the first few months of this, his first season in charge, laying out these tactical basics and getting everybody into understanding his game model. And then he has to add this, you know, ejection of elite talent, but also get them on the same page and not, you know, with language issues and all the and cultural issues and moving, moving and logistics. And he was saying that, you know, um, Guys who aren't fully fit, they're looking. They tend to be looking for the ball to their feet, right? And I'm my job is to try and nudge them towards. All right, I've got to get them fit, and I've got to explain to them why we want you on the run. Mm-hmm. I want to get you the ball in in movement towards the goal, and you see it with those guys when they can get those little pockets of space or find a transition opportunity. Um, they can be much more dangerous, right? But it's just sort of pushing through that fitness, and then and then working with your trainers to get the maximum out of every minute, right? When do I need to bring these guys off the bench? Um, when can I get a good 45 and maybe win a game in the first half? There's, it's, it's, a, it's so many variables that he's dealing with. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, so that team's going to be must-watch. Um, last topic, and then we'll get out of here. Um, I guess we're contra- contractually obliged as MLSsoccer.com to go Toronto and the LAFC. I don't, <laughs> like, again, I know that they're kind of runaway supporters shield, but, like, I don't the, – the playoff races are, are, are the most interesting, but it's, you're going to be difficult to find something more interesting than, like, a non a non-supporter shield race for what they're doing on the fly here of bringing in Denny Buanga and, and Christian Teo and everything else. That and Gareth Bale is still being onboarded as somebody who hasn't started. And Tio Daniel Giannone saying as of they're, they're playing Friday night against Austin, I don't – he's saying very unlikely that he starts. He's been here for two months, and, and he's, he's not ready to start yet. That, you know, at some point he's going to start to be concerned. But, like, this team is so crazy and deep. How, I'm really curious to see what Steve Trondolo does in terms of rotations and managing these minutes because they have, you know, maybe star could be a, a loose term. I think they have five stars in attack. Carlos Vela, Denny Buanga, uh, Gareth Bale, Chicho Arango, um, and Christian Teo. Maybe star might be a little bit giving him a little bit too much credit regardless. And one rising talent who a lot of teams would love in, in Mahalo Opoku. Those are six dudes that are going to be expecting to start to one degree or another. And I'm really curious what the combinations were and, and like, they're gearing up for all right. What's our best eleven heading into the playoffs? Well, look, we we at this point, when you look at his most of his Real Madrid tenure, I mean, Gareth Bale has been bedeviled by these soft tissue issues, uh, hamstrings, groins, quads, etc. I mean, I, I don't need there's there's maybe other ones. We don't always get transparency on that, but I think when you look at his his injury history overall, it's a very real question as to whether he is a ninety minute player outside of you know the occasional. Uh, Welsh national team game, right? He's and certainly you can understand why he'd be focused on being at his physical peak for the World Cup. That in this case, that happens to dovetail pretty well with LAFC's goals um, to to try and go win, win a cup. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe he's you know fifteen minutes, 10, 20 minutes at a time of Gareth Bale is still a, a pretty nice thing to have in your back pocket. Uh, yeah, I've written about him in the in the young players piece a lot. I mean, Mahala. Is, it's like, how did he get a mention in there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, look, Mahala is is keeping is making it easier for for yeah. Tarandolo to be conservative with the new guys and the older guys because he's producing. He's again, what twenty one? I want to say um, comes from from this small uh, academy in Ghana, and he's uh, he, he, again, he's just thriving. I mean, again, a really steep trajectory, very impressive end product quality meshing into the group of stars that they have there. So I, I'm, I guess, I mean, I still have some doubts actually about, you know, LAFC told us at the start of their existence that, that, that young, you know, identifying young talent, both home and abroad, you know, getting minutes and MLS success out of it and selling it on sort of the Atlanta model was central to their identity. And now I'm beginning to suspect that, that there's a shift. And I don't know, I think it goes deeper than just Steve Trendolo. I think there's they've decided on some level that they're going to be something different. Um, somebody t- on Twitter suggested me that they're they're doing the Lakers Showtime you know, uh, uh, approach here to t- to try and uh, I guess it's you got a stadium to fill, you've got an LA Galaxy rival to try and keep in the shade. So you know the the their their mindset I think is evolving a bit, and I, I do think you're right. There are real rotation questions, but when you're winning. Uh, and when you're in a place like LA where there's this built-in discount that you get to enjoy just 
the quality of life, the reputation, the climate that people love about SoCal, it gives you this margin for error. And it is, it's, it's not fair, right? I mean, you'll hear plenty of, uh, of, of other people from other markets talk about this and grumble about it a little bit, but that's, that's the benefit that they have. Um, again, I have no idea what, what Gareth Bale's, you know, the tail end of his career, you know, he's on the backside of the bell curve, but at what point is, is he there? Um, so, so it's intriguing. And I think this game tomorrow night is really fascinating. Um, they've only lost one game at home and it was to, to Austin in May. Um, I think Austin has said some things that at that time and more recently, and in the way they carried themselves in that game that have rankled, uh, LAFC, they, they're annoyed at this, um, presumptuousness of this Austin group. And then you got two former U S national team teammates facing off in the technical area. Um, it's a primetime ESPN game. It's going to be a lot of fun and, and LAFC can get some revenge, um, and uh, effectively end, uh, Austin's supporter shield hopes tomorrow night if they get a dub. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm extremely looking forward to that one. I think I think we covered it all. I I definitely took up a little bit more of your time than than I I assumed or estimated. So Charlie Bohm, thank you again. You can read him MLSsoccer.com. You read him U.S. Soccer Players Twitter. All these things. Charlie is, is one of the very best, and you you should absolutely be following everything he does. Charlie, man, thank you for thank you for coming on. Yeah, guys, it's, it's always uh, it's always fun to to chop it up with you, Tom. Everybody uh, everybody's impressed as hell with what you're doing. Please, uh, please take care of yourself. Take care of your fingers, your texting fingers. Uh, don't burn yourself out. Find sustainability. Uh, but, uh, but thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. All right. Till next time.